Good evening. We counted blessing to have you in our audience this evening, and we're thankful for your presence and uh, your dedication on a Tuesday evening uh, in Pampa, Texas, to sacrifice the time that you might have to uh, take care of other needs or necessities of life, uh, other things you might want to do, but you've made a decision and a choice to be here with us, and, and we're thankful for that. I don't want to waste any time tonight. You know, we get up here behind pulpits and, and give a lot of lessons. And a lot of times we try to figure out a way <laughs> to take the message of the Word of God and figure out a way to reach the hearts of people. I want to tell you, it seems like that's getting harder and harder to do. And the reason that it's harder and harder to do is not because the Word of God has lost any of its power, but I want to tell you, our country's distracted. I want to tell you, God's people are distracted. And when we're distracted, the Word of God falls on deaf ears. And I don't know your situation tonight. I don't know where you stand with God. I can't look into your heart and say, you know what? I know that you're saved and that if something happened to you tonight that you would spend eternity with God. I don't know that. But you know, the Bible doesn't charge me to know that about you tonight. But the Bible tells me and teaches me to examine myself. And my responsibility this evening is to teach you truths from the Word of God. And I'm risking some things tonight. I understand that. But I think we need to say the truth plainly. That we add things to our life that take us away from God. We make decisions that bring things into our life that in and of themselves may not be sinful or wrong, but over time pull us away from the disciples that we ought to be. And I want to tell you, I could have come tonight and, and prepared a lesson that you would have patted me on the back afterwards, and that was a good lesson. Thank you, Brother Chase. But that wasn't what I wanted to do tonight because I want to teach you and tell you the truth. We need to wake up. We need to understand the God that we serve and who he is. And he is a loving God. He's a merciful God. And we talked about that last night, that if, if we come to him truly repentant and broken, He's going to do more than we could even imagine by repairing us and healing us and restoring us and reconciling us to him. But brethren, we have idols that we have created. We have idols that we have willingly put in between us and our God. And we need to wake up and we need to tear those idols down. And tonight we're going to speak very bluntly about things that I have witnessed. And when I speak of these things, some of these things are things that I personally have struggled with. And I share that. So don't sit there in the audience and be so arrogant and prideful that you think I'm talking to you because I'm talking to everyone and certainly I'm speaking to myself tonight. But if we waste time and we waste opportunities at some point, I want to tell you the heavens are going to unfold and the Lord is going to return and it's going to be too late to make any changes. 
and we're going to stand before our creator, the almighty God and creator of all things, and we're going to give an answer of the things that we've done in this body, whether they be good or whether they be bad, and he's going to proclaim a judgment upon our eternity. And that eternity is going to either give us that heavenly home or it's going to separate us in hell. That's the truth. I want to ask everybody tonight. Every one of you has one of these in your pocket or in your hand or in your lap. And I'm taking a chance by asking this this evening. I understand that. And I don't expect everyone in here to assist me in what I'm going to ask you to do. But I want to tell you, we have a distraction in our hands. And tonight, you can't justify and tell me, well, Brother Chase, I need my Bible app. I want to tell you, nothing we're going to talk about tonight is deep enough for you to have your blue letter Bible app. There is nothing deep enough for you to need to do a word study. Because we're going to speak bluntly about basic truths of God. You don't need to make notes. If the sermon's good enough, Ian will put it on YouTube later and you can go watch and then make your notes. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take this and if you're willing to help me in this illustration, I want you to take this device and I want you to come set it right up here on the stage. If you're willing to do that. If you're not, that's okay. I'm not going to judge you. It's already better than I thought. I thought my kids were going to be the only ones because they were threatened with a whipping if they didn't do it. I want to tell you, I appreciate that. But tonight's not about pleasing me. And I want us to truly be focused on God's word. I'm going to have the scriptures up here conveniently for you to, to reference and read from. But if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you, open the Bible. Follow along. Because in our country today, we are so comfortable. We have had things so well and we have been so prosperous that I think God is telling us it's time to tear down these idols. You know, idolatry has been a problem for God's people for a long time. And here in Genesis chapter, or Numbers chapter 33, as the children of Israel uh, have been led by Moses out of Egypt in their bondage. Now, they've already wandered now almost 40 years because of their worshiping of the golden calf. And they're about to enter in to the promised land. And God comes to Moses and gives him this instruction about what they are to do when they go in to possess the land that he has promised to them. And I want you to take note on the severity of the language that God uses concerning what his task for them is to complete. 
In Numbers 33, beginning of verse 50, the Bible says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. You know what God is telling Israel? You go into this land, you annihilate these people, you get the inhabitants out because it's your land. I've promised it to you. I'm giving it to you. But you take any remnants that might possibly get in your way and cause you to want to worship something other than me and you destroy it. He didn't say put it in a museum and archive it so generations later people of other civilizations can come and understand the history. He said you destroy it. You get it out from in front of your eyes. You stop reading it. You don't listen to it. You get it out from among you. You know why God told them to do that? Because he knew the humanity that he had created. And I want to tell you, human beings are prone to idolatry. How did God know that? When Moses went up to the mount for a few days, (laughs) a few days to receive the law of God after leading the children of Israel out of Egypt in bondage and slavery, raising his staff and watching the Red Sea part and them crossing on dry ground and they get to the other side and they find themselves at the foot of Sinai. And Moses goes up to that and a few days pass. And Moses, while he's up there, God tells him, you won't believe what those people have done. What had they done? They had created an idol, a golden calf, In Exodus 32 and verse 2, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Here you have Aaron not only consenting, but actually hatching the plan. Hey, break off your gold and let's build us something that we can worship because Moses is gone. And we're tired of waiting on God. We're tired of waiting on his will. We're tired of doing what he wants us to do. And guess what? We need a God that will direct us. So let's melt down that gold and mold it in the form of this golden calf and let's worship before it. How foolish. And they worship that golden calf and say, this is our God that brought us out of Egypt. That's foolish, isn't it? And we look at that kind of like what we talked about last night of identifying sin in other people is very easy. (laughs) This is very easy for us to look at and say, how dumb could they be? (laughs) Couldn't they just wait for Moses to come down? I want to tell you, man is prone to idolatry. And God telling Moses to tear down those idols and all those things as they went into the land to inhabit it, it wasn't just to merely destroy the artifacts and the remembrance of a nation. 
It was to prevent them from giving in to their carnality of wanting to worship something that they could see, feel, and touch and relate to on a carnal level. Because guess what continued to happen throughout the nation and the history of the nation of Israel? It was a continuous plague. (laughs) You know, every country they would go and they would win a battle. And what would happen? They would have those people and sometimes they would look at their religion and their worship of Baal. And they would begin to adopt and accept that worship and practice those things. Here in Judges chapter 6, God comes to a man named Gideon. And he says, you know what, Gideon? I need you to do something. I need you to destroy the idols that your father Joash has built. You know what Gideon said? Why me? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh. And I'm the weakest of my family. You surely can't be me. But the word of God in Judges 6 declares him as a mighty man of valor. And then guess what happened? He was obedient to the will of God. And at night, he went out and he destroyed those idols that his father Joash had built. In Judges 6 and verse 25, it says, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock and in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And remember the rest of that story that the next morning, all the men and the inhabitants of the city are upset and they tell Joash, hey, you bring your son Gideon out here because he did this and we need to kill him. And Joash very wisely said, well, if my son has harmed the idols of Baal, then let that pagan God destroy him. And certainly they waited for that destruction and it never came. And ultimately God utilized Gideon to bring about salvation and restoration of his people. But those idols had to be torn down. Now do we see idolatry in the New Testament? Now we can look at the Old Testament and say, man, they had a real problem with that. Can we see it in the New Testament? Certainly. In Acts chapter 17, as the Apostle Paul is um, in Athens at Mars Hill, he's preaching and he's observing their religious uh, ceremonies and all the statues of the gods that they worshiped. And in verse 16, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And then later on in that chapter, we know that the Apostle Paul, looking out at all their devotions and all their statues and all their pagan gods, there was even a statue that said what? To the unknown God. And Paul, brilliantly inspired of God, said, you know what? You have all these gods, but I'm going to tell you about the one that you don't know. And that you willingly confess that you don't know. Him I can declare unto you. And who did he preach about? He preached about Jesus. I'll tell you, idolatry was a problem in the New Testament. But it wasn't just because of the statues and the Greek mythology and the Roman Caesar worship. Because I want to tell you tonight, idolatry doesn't start with stone and mortar and brick and wood. 
Idolatry starts in the heart of man. And guess what? We can have an idol that never manifests itself in a physical form that our hands can feel and our eyes can see. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Do you not know? I want you to understand what he's saying. <laughs> he says, this is pretty evident and clear. Okay? So I want you to really listen tonight. Do you not know? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's a lot of sins named there. And one of them is what? Idolatry. You know what that word means? That literally means those who would worship those graven images. See, God has always been the only one worthy of worship. And he expects and will only accept worship from those who only worship him. And he says, these idolaters, guess what? You have no place in eternity with God. And we can read this passage and we can say, that's harsh. We can say, Chase, you saying that is unloving. I beg to differ. Because you know what I know about the word of God? That it was written and inspired with the best interest of those who would hear it. Amen. And it's loving of our God and our creator to tell us hard truths. I want to tell you, it's loving of brethren tonight to preach messages that warn people of an eternal separation from God. And tonight this message is preached with love. It's not preached with hate and anger. I'll tell you a little frustration. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it's because I love God's people. It's because I believe we ought to have that kind of love for our brethren that we can say hard things to one another and not get our feelings hurt like the world does. Did you notice something else in this passage, though? Idolatry is specifically mentioned, but there's another idolatry mentioned. Did you catch it? You see, we see that idolaters there, but the Bible is very clear that there's another idolatry in this passage. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. You see it? Which is idolatry. You ever notice that? So when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, not only is he condemning idolatry from a position of worshiping a pagan idol... But what other type of idolatry is he condemning? One that's born out of covetousness. For covetousness is idolatry. And you know what covetousness is? It's wanting what you want and being willing to violate the will of God to get it. Anything 
that you have such an insatiable desire for that you're willing to violate God's holy will to please yourself. You have created an idol from that covetousness and you are devoted to fulfilling that need that you have. But let me tell you tonight, it's not a need. It's a carnal desire of the flesh. And we're commanded to combat this flesh through the spirit and the power of the word of God. Notice these verses here. We have 1 Corinthians 6 that we've referenced about idolaters and the covetous. And we have Colossians 3 and 5 that covetousness, which is idolatry. Ephesians 5 reinforces this. It says, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Because really what we have done, if we're participating and we're covetous, is we're saying, I am my God. And I will do what I want to do. And no one can tell me otherwise. And God himself has no authority over me. And you can do that all day long and never bow down to a carved image. And be guilty of idolatry. Is there idolatry today? You know, there are world religions that still have huge golden images that they go and bow themselves before. There are devoted members of these religions that will build altars within their homes and they will be diligent three times a day to go into that altar and offer praise to the name of their God. And when we think about idolatry, I bet these are the images that you think of. But let's define idolatry. I have to keep things simple. Some of that is because I have young children and when they're in the assembly, I want them to understand what it is we're talking about. But you know what? I want to understand it. So I thought it best that we actually give ourselves a working definition of what idolatry is. Anything that displaces God, anything that becomes more important to you or I than his word and his will, I want to tell you it's defined as an idol. Can we agree on that definition? I think that's pretty simple. It's pretty straight. I think it's accurate. If you disagree, please, let's talk after services and discuss that. But I think we all would come to an agreement. That's a pretty good definition. So I want to share with you seven observable idols that I think we can see among ourselves today. Seven. I want to tell you, it could have been hundreds. But I want to be respectful of your time. And I think seven is enough to make the point. Number one, I want to tell you, technology has become an idol. Oh, I know. It's a tool. And however you use a tool, yeah. And the tree of knowledge and good and evil just produce fruit. It's just fruit. God warned them to be careful of it. Stay away from it. Now, I'm not saying we go hold ourselves up and never utilize technology. I'm not going to confiscate your cell phones and throw them away tonight so you don't get them back. As soon as we're done, you can come get them. But I want to tell you, the technology that's within our hands today, as wonderful and productive as it can help us to be, you know, anything that's, that's great, 
I want to tell you it has a backsided curse. I want to tell you what technology has created. It's created things that aren't real, that we accept as real. I want to tell you, it has enabled people to have inappropriate relationships that they never would have done without that technology. And I want to tell you, I've counseled with couples whose marriages are falling apart because of infidelity that really started, you know where? A few messages that they could justify and say, you know, it's innocent, it's nothing to it. But that technology gave that opportunity to even have that sin occur. I want to share with you a study recently done over in England. And that study revealed a lot about screens and tablets and handheld devices and laptops, all the technology that we are so accustomed to utilizing today. It said on average, people said they spend 25 hours per week online and check their smartphone 200 times a day. You know, when I read that, I said, that is insane. So guess what I decided I was going to do? I was going to track my usage. You know what I discovered? I had an idol in the palm of my hand almost every minute of every day. And you know what I did with that idol at night? I plugged it in so that it would be fully charged so that first thing in the morning I could pick it up and it could be my God again. You ever get those alerts on your phone that your usage is up by 10% this week? You've been on your smart device eight hours or 12 hours. You get that? I want to tell you that made me ashamed. And I can justify and say, well, that's my work. I mean, I got I to gotta check my emails. I've got... But you know what I also would do? Is I'd get that little red dot that said there was an alert, which meant, you know what? Whatever that means and whatever that represents, it's the most important thing in the world right now, Chase. So drop everything else and see what that notification's all about. And it could be ESPN, it could be news, it could be Facebook, it could be Twitter, it could be a text message, it could be an email, but whatever it was, guess what? It had my mind. And I'd click on it and I'd read it and say, yeah, that really wasn't that important. Well, but while I'm here, <laughs> You ever do that? Be honest. You ever said, I'm going to check one thing, and then an hour later, <laughs> what in the world am I doing? I want to tell you, we can laugh and giggle, and we can kind of make a lot of it, but it's destructive. Because there's nothing that should control us to that extent except for God. Here's the really scary part. Our young people. Depression, anxiety, aggression have all been linked to excessive screen time and can even spur psychotic-like features, he says. Further research shows that as more kids use digital media, their social skills erode, and the more time a child spends dedicated to cyber reality, the more they lose their ability to interpret real-life emotions. How many of you with your children tonight would take them home and put a line of cocaine on the table and let them snort that up their nose? Not a parent in here would do that. 
But I want to tell you, that device, guess what it's giving our kids? It's giving them the same chemical reaction that that drug does. And they're getting addicted. And parents, if you're allowing your children unsupervised access to social media, to the internet, to platforms where they can chat and talk and discuss things and you have no clue, I want to tell you tonight, you're a fool. You're a fool to think your kids can play with something so dangerous and not be burned. That's what this stuff can do when it's abused and when our kids have free reign and access. But I want to tell you, it's not just the kids. I know adults that have this same problem and issue. And what this does is we create a world that's all about us. This is a problem. If you want help with this problem, we've got material, we've got studies, we've got time. We can sit and talk about these things and have real discussions about what you can do to help your family and your kids who have an issue with this. Or you can blindly act like it's not a problem and continue allowing your kids and your family to be distracted and have the idol of this technology in your home. Second, career and money. I want to tell you, I like money. You know, I heard somebody say, you know, well, money doesn't solve all your problems. I agree, but I'll tell you, it makes life a little bit easier because <laughs> I've had no money. I've also had some money. I've had more money. I've had less money. But you know what I've learned? Money's just money. And money doesn't make you happy. Because there was a point in my life where I made $2,000 a month doing church work. Do the math. That's 24000 a year. And you say, man, that's not bad. But I want to tell you, all of my expenses came out of that. That wasn't profit and take home. That was to cover groceries for my family. That was to cover a fuel bill that would be five to $600 a month. That was to cover insurance and housing. And guess what you do? You start finding other ways to make a little extra cash so you can support your family. And happy to do it. I'm not complaining. I'm just sharing that for a fact. That's what it is. You know what I said when I made $24,000? I said, if I could just make $35,000 a year, I'll be set. <laughs> do y'all believe that tonight? Because <laughs> guess what happened? I made $35,000 a year. And guess what I said? Man, if I could just make $45,000 a year, I'd be set. But you know what? Elizabeth kept having kids. <laughs> I had kids too. They were mine. <laughs> it's not her fault completely. But you know what? Then I said, man, if we could make 60000 man, happy, content, we're good. Is it ever enough? Honest, be honest. Is it ever enough? Don't tell you, I know people who make 130, 140, $150,000 a year, and guess what they're always looking for? I'm looking for that next promotion. I'm looking for that next step to make that next level and that next grade and get more money. Let me tell you what happens to your money. You may save it up 
And you may have a gigantic nest egg and you may enjoy a few years of retirement, but at some point you're going to die. And sometimes that money becomes a great burden to your family and brings about a lot of destruction. And if you've not taken the time to invest in the things that truly matter to your children and your home and to your God, and your life has been about accumulating wealth, it's a very sad and lonely existence. And the Bible warns us of that. We know the passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, the problem isn't the money. The problem is the greediness and what that money can cause people to do. Do you believe money is an idol tonight in our country? Wealth, affluence, I think it's pretty easy to see. Third, comfort and ease. We work hard so we can play hard. You know why I work hard? So I can rest. (laughs) I don't want to go play hard. I'm past those days. I want to work hard and I want to go rest. I want comfort. I want ease. And I want to tell you, at my house right now, there is a recliner that is my chair. And it's the most comfortable chair in the world to me. And I'm going to go home in a few days at some point eventually, and hopefully I'm going to have some time. I'm going to sit in that chair and say, comfort and ease. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I think God gives us blessings to enjoy. The Bible is very clear about that. We ought to enjoy the fruits of our labor. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're living and we're working so hard so that then we can get to this age where we can just totally relax and not have any cares or concerns and we can kick back and put our feet up and then just watch the rest of our days go by enjoying the comforts and ease of this life. I want to tell you we've created an idol. Brethren, I hope you retire early. I hope you save a lot of money so you can retire early. You know why? Because we need workers in the kingdom. And you can support yourself and come work. (laughs) And we can get a lot done. You know what? We have brethren who do that. We have brethren that sacrifice their time of comfort and ease to go out and get their hands dirty. They make sacrifices of their business and their money and their time to go out and to help preach and spread the gospel of Christ. I think that pleases God. Let's work to accumulate that wealth so we can put it to work in the kingdom. Let's not die with it in some bank account so that our kids can live a very distorted life because now they have all this money and we haven't really taught them how to manage it correctly. Because I want to tell you, it'll bring a lot of evil into their life. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When is our race over? I've talked with Justin and Riley about cross country. I said, y'all are insane. (laughs) You go run this three point something mile rate. Why? (laughs) Is there a bear? Is there a dog chasing? I don't get it. But you know why they run? To win. It's a competition. 
And you run and you do the best that you can so that when you finish that race, you can say, I did the best I could. You know, our life is a race. God doesn't say, hey, take some time off. Don't serve me. Enjoy this comfort and ease. And then whenever you're ready, pick up your cross and come follow me. Jesus didn't do that. Did he rest? He said he didn't have a place to lay his head. Because he knew his mission, he was focused on it, and there was nothing going to deter him from accomplishing what the Lord had set in front of him to do. And he did it, and he finished it, and he says, guess what? Now you're running a race. Finish the race. Face death knowing I've done everything I can. Face death knowing, God, I'm spent. And I've seen men and women die in the Lord, and I've attended their funerals. And I want to tell you, it's a blessing to see that kind of life. And in your death, you can be a blessing to God's people if you run your race and don't quit. Fourth, you may hate me. You, I doubt you'll rush the stage. But I want to tell you, politics is an idol. It's an idol. You know why? Because we're pledging our allegiance to something other than God. And I know I say that living in a nation that was founded upon a Judeo ethic, a Judeo Christian ethic. But let's be real honest. The people who came to this country originally, they wanted to practice their religion freely, but the revolution was about economic freedom. <laughs> it wasn't about religious freedom. Let's not mix the two. No taxation without what? Representation. That's why we fought the Revolutionary War. So let's be honest, okay? And here's the problem. I've seen politics divide brethren over the last year. I've seen brethren that will walk into a church building and sit on opposite sides and not even acknowledge the presence of someone else because they support a certain candidate or they support a certain party. Brethren, that's sin. And what you're saying is your political allegiances trump your citizenship in heaven. That's an idol. Now, I appreciate the sacrifice of men and women who have fought for our nation and preserved the freedoms that we have. But when I bow my knee and I'm worshiping and praising, I am not worshiping the United States of America. I am worshiping God in heaven. And my Lord is Jesus. He's my king. It doesn't matter who sits in the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not my Lord. They're not my master. They're not my king. They are a civil authority that is in place over me. And as long as they have that place, I will submit to whatever it is they ask me to do until that causes me to violate the will of God. And if it causes me to violate the will of God, then it'll be time to serve God and not man. And you know what? Three, four, five years ago, we talked about these things, and it was just a kind of theory and an idea. It's reality today, isn't it? 
Because I don't agree with every decision that's made in Washington, D.C. I don't agree with every decision that's made in Austin, Texas. I don't agree with every decision that's made in Cameron County, Texas. I don't agree with every decision that's made in the Lyford City Council. But you know what? Those decisions don't have an impact in any way on my relationship with my God. So how foolish of me to place such a priority on these carnal offices and divisions of men and have it impact my worship and my relationships with my brethren. Shame on us. Philippians 3, Paul said it. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Tonight, you need to know who your Lord is. You need to know who your master is. You need to know from what country you belong. And the United States is not the chosen generation of God. God's holy people and his holy nation is comprised of brothers and sisters from every country under heaven. And our country may fall. And I'll tell you this, at some point it will. Every nation has. Why would we think we're any different? That's arrogant. And God's concern isn't about this country. God's concern is about the hearts of the men and women that live here and their need for the gospel of Christ. And we waste time, we waste energy arguing and debating about things of men to the detriment of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to give account for it. It's an idol. Entertainment. There's some nights I come in, Elizabeth can tell you, it may be 9.45, maybe 10 o'clock, and I'm eating supper because we've ran and ran and done everything we could do in that day and didn't have time to get it all done. And I eat supper and I sit in the chair, I get the remote, I turn on Hulu, Netflix, something. You know what I do? I scroll looking for something to watch, looking for something to entertain me, entertain me. I want entertainment. Give it to me now. I need it. I have to have it. And after 20 minutes of that, I throw the remote down and say, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I feel like an old man. <sighs> There's just nothing worth my time. <sighs> it's garbage. Almost all of it. Except OU football. That, that's okay. <sighs> I'm not saying you can't enjoy entertainment. I'm not saying you can't have a TV in your home. Don't leave here and say, Chase said we can't even have TVs in our house. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if every free moment you have, you're running up to a media room to turn on a game to play, it's an idol. It controls you and you don't even realize it. This includes video games, movies, YouTube, Unless you're truly, honestly watching presentations that are going to help you grow in your discipleship as a child of God, it's a lot of filth. And here's one that I'll even take the step farther. I see people on social media who say, hey, tell me the next series to binge watch because I have three days off and I'm going to lay in bed and Netflix and chill. 
How about you take those three days and go preach the gospel? There's an idea. How about you take those three days and go feed the hungry? How about you take those three days and go help the widows and the orphans? How about you take those three days and go encourage your brothers and sisters in your home congregation? It's deceitful because none of us sits out and says, I want this television and these programs to draw me away from God. But what happens? If we're honest, it's an idol. Number six. I want to tell you, this is mine. Sports. I loved lunch today. We went with Larry and Debbie. And I want to tell you, the prime rib tacos were great. <laughs> but you know what Larry talked to me? He talked to me about his baseball career. I did not know. I was in the presence of greatness. And I loved hearing his stories and talking about that. And I, I want to tell you, I was drawn in. I, tell me everything. And he shared stories. It was fascinating. I want to tell you, that drives me sometimes. I love college football. I love pro football. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love watching little league basketball when my boys are on the court. I love watching high school sports. I want to tell you, I love it. I got to be careful. Because you know what I'll do? Sometimes if I know there's a game I really want to watch... I can manipulate my schedule and even almost look for a reason or an excuse to postpone something of a spiritual nature with somebody because, man, and I can say, hey, it's one night. I just want to be home and watch one game. I want to tell you, it's selfish. It's selfish. And brethren, we have kids that we will haul all over the country to play every tournament. I did it growing up. That was our religion. We didn't go to church on Sunday because we were at the temple Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's called the baseball field. That was our temple. That was our worship. That was our religion. And I was good. And I spent a lot of time dedicated to that, training to be good at that. And then I got older and started learning and realized, man, what a waste. <laughs> Parents, Let's be real honest. Some of these sports and the things that you're going to drag them all over the country for them to do, it really has nothing to do about what they want to do. You're living your dream through them. So you've made your, your children your idol. Because you want to see them. You know what you want to, ought to want your kids to do that you can observe and see in them? That they're motivated to come to church and worship God that they have a fervent spirit about raising their voice in praise to God. Oh, they may get excited out on the softball and baseball field and basketball court, but there's no excitement about coming to the house of the Lord. I want to tell you, you got an idol. And every Saturday, every Sunday, every night of the week, there are stadiums filled with hundreds of thousands of people. And guess what they're doing? They are fervent, they are loud, and they are cheering, and they are rooting on. And they're given their all for what? A game. 
and yet we walk into the Lord's house. Let's sing 122. Let's sing 122. I am resolved no longer to Really? But I get I bet Friday night at the Pampa Harvesters game, you'll lose your mind. I bet you on Saturday in Lubbock at Texas Tech football, you'll go nuts. I bet you Sunday afternoon when the Cowboys are winning, you'll be cheering. When they're losing, you'll throw something at the TV. Because <laughs> you care. And yet, here we are, mundanely going through worship, not really caring, not excited. What a waste. Romans 12 and 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Let's inspire our children not to be the next generation of the Aggie fan or the Texas Tech Red Raider fan or the UT Longhorn fan. Let's inspire them to be the next generation of leaders in the kingdom of God and spend our time developing that so that his will is done. Finally, one left. I'm going to tell you, if you can't tell me what it is right now, you hadn't been listening. It's self. That's the biggest idol that we bow down and worship every day. Because the reality is, the other six are simply manifestations of the idol of self. I am the center of the universe. My will supersedes anything that anyone else can tell me. And parents, I understand what it means to have a rebellious child. I'm going to tell you, if you let that rebellious child run your home, you're not helping them. What you're doing is enabling a narcissist. And that narcissist isn't going to change when they turn 18 and walk out your door. And if you don't train them and teach them while they're in your home, it's going to be too late once they leave. And they may be taught and they may be reached, but I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot harder. A lot harder. Put in the hard work now. Teach your children, train your children because you love them. But too often, we don't teach and train them because we ourselves are undisciplined in this area. How can I teach my children not to be narcissistic and puffed up with pride and ego when they see it in me? That hurts, doesn't it? When you look at yourself in the mirror, I'm not saying you say you're worthless, but what you say is I'm a child of God. And my value is determined by the sacrifice that he made for me. Not by what anybody else tells me, no matter what I feel about myself. My God gives me my worth and my value that we talked about on Sunday morning with our identity. So that we don't have to bow down to the idol of self. Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Those of you who came and put that device up here on the stage, God bless you. Because you could have sat there and said, this is foolish. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're right. You can. But I want to tell you, that revealed a little bit about your heart. (laughs) And it revealed a little bit to us, but it exposed you to God. Because God sees that. He understands that heart. And ultimately, he says, you know what? You're worshiping the creature more than the creator. I'll give you over to it. You want to do that? Have at it. But at the end of your life, you're going to be separated from me. Hell is real, and it's not pleasant, and it's not a party. And you want to joke and play with God, you're playing with fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's gracious, he's merciful. But you rebel against him, he will send you to hell because you're making the decision. And you can let this lesson this evening go in one ear and out the other. You can laugh, you can mock, you can ridicule. It really doesn't matter to me. Because if one person in this audience makes a change, it's worth it. If there's one person in this audience that says, you know what? I want to make sure I'm closer to God than anything else. Then it's worth it. If one person says, you know what, I need to have my sins forgiven and I need to be buried with my Lord in baptism so I can have heaven, then this sermon's worth it. And I'll preach it every day. Brethren, tear down the idols. That means you do whatever you have to do. Jesus talked about radical amputation, didn't he? Your hand offends you, cut it off. Your eye offends you, pluck it out. You know why? Because it's better to go into eternal life, halt or maimed, than to go to hell whole with everything intact. And Jesus doesn't want us physically cutting off our hands and plucking out our eyes. But he says, you need to do the other things that will solve the problem at a spirit level. Get the idols out from in front of you and keep your focus and attention on God. I want to leave you with this. The brethren at Thessalonica, guess what they had a problem with? Idolatry. And I want you to listen to these words. First Thessalonians chapter one, beginning of verse six. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they declare themselves, declare concerning us, what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Be delivered from your idols tonight. Lay the idols down. Break the idols apart. Tear them from your life. And do what? Turn to the living God. And you'll be an example. Jesus is pleading with you. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 24, what? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, what? Desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Be devoted to him and him alone. Your allegiance is to your savior and no one else. Serve him faithfully because heaven's worth it. And Jesus prepared the way.